to start getting sick. Um, but I got my bottle of water, so we'll plug through it. Um, I'm going to start off with a short video uh, about our ministry as just kind of an intro, and um, and then I'll go into a little bit more in depth about uh, what we we do on a daily uh, basis at Breaking Chains. Um, so, Daryl. six kids in our private education program. Now we have 21 kids enrolled in our program. Each of these kids come from different family backgrounds uh, with different levels of family involvement, but each of them share a common ground, and that's generational poverty. Uh, they have a chance to change an entire cycle within their family that's been going on for generations. And because of sponsors that donate for their success, donate for their education, they have a chance to change their whole future and the whole future of their families. When I was your foe, still your love far from me. Our summer visiting teams allow us to serve our church family in an even greater way. We are able to build them houses. We put on summer VBSs. We hand out food bags. We put on clinics, uh, medical clinics. And we are able to form relationships via these activities with our church family. It helps that Breaking Chains helps us to study and, and get an education as well as learn some technical skills. They teach us all the time and everything that the family our family is most important and that family and, and our spiritual lives are the most important. When people ask us what our goals are, how we measure success in our ministry, we often say it looks a lot differently than you might expect. We measure our success, in quote, with a lot of grace. 
because we believe that that's what God is all about, that everyone deserves a second chance, that everyone deserves to be that one out of 99 sheep that someone goes and looks for and fights for and seeks out. And so we believe that each face that walks through our doors Maybe that one out of 99 that needs that second and third and millionth chance, and we are just trying to be that for them. I've been on the streets for 16 years. I've never really had a good relationship with my family, and breaking chains has, has helped me to get off the streets. This is Michael Sihan. A few months ago, he decided to go back to the streets after living with us for a short time. And what happened was that we began to look for him. And at Friday Night Street Feedings, uh, we found him and we sought him out. We tried everything. We talked to him, we reasoned with him, we did everything to try and convince him. And what happened was that our teens that had come with us began to pull at him, began to beg him, began to plead with him, and said, Michael, come home. And what happened was is that Sihan got in the back of the truck and he came home. And I don't know that we have ever seen a more clear vision of God's grace and God's love than in that moment, in that night, with those broken young adults fighting for another broken kid. All right. Um, so... It'll pop up in a second. Um, as was mentioned in that video, uh, Breaking Chains was uh, started about in 2009. Maybe. By uh, Amber Foster. Uh, that's who you heard translating in the background there. Um, and she had been working with a, diff with a uh, different church and had basically worked herself out of a job, which is every missionary's goal, or it should be at least. Um, and so she, she left that church to its own devices uh, with their Honduran ministers and saw that there was a, a number of teens on the street um, who did not have much of a, a family or a place uh, to go. And maybe that'll come up in a second. Stressing Daryl out, I think. Um, so she began to to feed on out of the back of her truck. Um, he's getting it there. Okay. So she began to feed out of the back of her truck a few nights a week uh, on various street corners. And that grew um, and that grew 
over time to having the building that we work out of now um, that was first rented and then bought with Winterfest donations, I think back in 2011 or 12, um, if I remember right. And as you probably saw in the video, we have uh, 13 teens that live in our, in our building. Um, and when I say teens, I mean they are from about 18 to 23. Um, and they all come from various backgrounds. Some of them uh, come out of some of the children's homes and they've aged out, have no family, nowhere else to go. Uh, so they come to us. And then some are just kids who have been in and out of the street, uh, much like Sihan you saw there, who's been on the street for 16 plus years. Um, and, and they come to us with various needs, various levels. Some of them will go and, and get into starting third grade and begin getting back into school um, at, at age 19, 20 uh, to, to be finish through elementary school. Um, and it's very common for, for most kids in Honduras to stop after sixth grade. Um, and so we help a lot with their education. Uh, we help them with a lot of technical skills. Um, and most of all, we try to be a family for them, uh, a family that they've never had, a family um, built on, on Christ and built on love um, because many of them will come, have come from abusive children's homes or abusive homes in general. Uh, and often, oftentimes the reason that so many are on the street that I talk to um, is because there's an abusive uncle, abusive dad, etc., and they just cannot bear to be at home. Um, I promise I'll make it through. Now, um, as you can see, we do various activities with them. Uh, you can see here, uh, Ricardo, this is Ricardo here. He's working in our garden. Uh, that's another one of our things that we do. We have, um, we have a, a nice little gardening setup that we did with one of our groups that our teens now maintain. Uh, and instead of, uh, you know, work for your food now kind of thing. Um, but they enjoy getting out there and, and learning, one, and uh, helping to provide uh, for their own food and things like that. We also, as you can see, there's chicken wire on the side of that video. Um, we have some chickens, not egg chickens. Uh, my wife wouldn't let me put the uh, chicken butchering pictures up that I have. Uh, but we, uh, we do that about once every couple months now, um, which is kind of fun, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but uh, OK, I'm going to continue on here. So as, as we mentioned, we have an education program. Uh, we started, and when I say we, I mean Michael started with six back seven years ago. And now we've moved up to uh, 21 kids because the best way out of poverty is through education. And so they all go to, well, I say all, about half of them go to a 
bilingual Christian private school, and then the other half go to a Spanish-speaking uh, private school. Um, education in Honduras is a joke, public, publicly is a joke. Um, teachers don't get paid enough. They'll just not show up sometimes. Uh, in fact, the government was just kind of canceling classes left and right a few weeks ago whenever we had some uh, floods from the tropical storms just because they didn't want to have to deal with paying the teachers and wanted to kind of delay them striking at the end of the year here uh, because they were going to try to do that for a raise. So uh, education is not a priority in Honduras in a lot of ways. And if you're poor, you have no way to make that a priority for yourself because you have to spend all your time and money just surviving. Um, minimum wage in Honduras is, I think, about a dollar twenty an hour for going off the equivalent, um, which doesn't leave you a lot of room to to spend any money on your kids' education. Um, and so, with these kids, they are kids that have come out of our church. Um, they're kids that we've known from uh, from some other Christian ministries that that we've inherited um, from communities that we work in. And they have, and we've made a commitment with them to provide their education and give them uh, an opportunity and their families an opportunity um, to break the cycle of poverty. Every Sunday we have church uh, in the afternoons. And that involves about 150 to 200 people, uh, depending on the Sunday. Sometimes in the summer times, it'll balloon up to 300, uh, which makes it pretty crowded. But a lot of our community, a lot of our members come from a specific community that we do a lot of work in with our groups. Um, they spend about two hours getting to and from church. Um, and quite a few bus rides, and it's uh, it, it's it's a wonderful time. We have a our own Honduran preacher. Uh, his name is Oliver. Uh, I could not find a picture of him. I don't know. I think he hides from the camera. Um, but he uh, has been with us for about eight months now, um, and he also goes out into our uh, neighboring communities and visits with uh, the families in, uh, in our church. And specifically in the community where half of our members come from, we were blessed with a plot of land about a year and a half ago. And we now have a small, double wide for lack of a better term, um, house that we've built out there where he is now having church services, I think two, Two times, two times a week out there. Uh, he's doing classes and services with the families out there. And one of the things that he's really pushing for that we've desperately needed is he's trying to incorporate more of the men. Um, for a long time, and it still is quite a bit of the quite a bit of the proportion of adults is women. Um, the men in Honduras 
don't really come, um, whether that be they're working or in some ways it's a cultural thing. Um, and so he's done a lot to incorporate a lot of the uh, husbands of our, our wives who are very solid in our community, and, and he gets them involved in a lot of the midweek things, um, maintaining our property. Uh, it's right near where it can get overgrown like that. Um, and so I, I'm really glad to say that he's, he's started doing that. Um, Another large part of our our ministry is summer groups. <coughs> in the summers, we'll have anywhere from uh, 12 to 15 groups come in, uh, much like uh, West are going to Guatemala, doing similar things. Um, they'll be building houses, as you can see up here. So they'll be building houses like that, wood and uh, tin roof houses. Um, and we've got any number of any number of things they do. Uh, could be food bags. Every group will do some sort of a VBS with our kids, um, which is kind of a uh, a thing that they. It's a it's a real big blessing. I know. I kind of VBSs to me are a little, uh, you know, a little part of me is like, come on, but. What the kids get out of it is is amazing to me, um, and they continue to remember those moments throughout the year, and and constantly ask when we're coming back out to do another, do another Jesus story or things like that. Um, and I have a bit of a love hate relationship with groups. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, short term missions are are a bit of a pickle, if you ask me. And um, some groups can do them really well and some groups do not. And and I think that um, one of the things that we've done lately is uh, hire translators, have the groups hire translators when they come or bring their own uh, because as we tell them, there's no point in you coming to just sit right next to somebody you can't even speak to. Um, you get a lot more out of it if you can actually communicate with them. Um, and so so we're doing our best to, to incorporate them into our ministry in a better ways. Um, sometimes we have an issue when, you know, groups leave that had no real idea what we did on a daily basis. I don't go out and build a house every day uh, by myself. Some people legitimately thought that I went out there and did that with a few guys every day. I could, but I don't. Um, and so we, we've done a, a lot more to keep them informed um, and we're pushing to, to help them continue to keep a long-term relationship with us and with the people. Um, we have groups now that I've watched over the five years uh, people that keep coming back and and the teens or whoever keep asking about so-and-so if so-and-so is coming back and they remember their names this thing is going what we're only in about a second okay um, now I kind of want to 
in that gist, I would like to ask if, uh, if anybody has any questions about what our ministry, any of the things that we do. I know you weren't expecting a Q&A, but... did almost have one fire but um no that is uh that was um circuits i think i think that was that's a mini light bulb so but i did have a group set one of my curtains on fire this past summer hmm. good question may have to call him back up Um, yeah, hi baby. Um, yeah, well, yeah, we're definitely blessed by that. Um, you know, I think, I, I, hi baby. (laughs) Um, you know, prayer, encouragement, um, and, if you're curious to come see us, come see us. Um, Larry, do what? Yeah, you don't have to come build a house. You can just come and visit us um, and see what we're doing. But yeah, I think one of the things that I always tell groups um, is that if you're here for your own experience, if you come into Honduras for your own experience, then you've kind of missed the point. And I don't even mean come and, you know, love on some brown kid kind of thing. It's come to be an encouragement, come to come to encourage the missionary on the ground um, because they are, are what is really channeling a lot of the, the love and the, and the support that you give to the missionary. Um, if that makes any sense. Okay, yeah, that's a good, okay. I did kind of gloss over that part of our, we have, a, we have seven uh, staff members. Uh, so they function as, we call them encargados, which I guess would be the ones in charge. Um, and so they're more like house parents. Uh, we, have, we have a married couple and then we have two um, singles who they have shifts so somebody is there 24 hours a day uh, to help to help them uh, make sure they're getting their food out not starting a fight um, various getting the stuff they need for school getting their homeworks done uh, things like that Uh, we have a lot a lot of kids uh, recently come in because the government shut down a a, um, social service that was kind of similar to ours and in a lot of ways we're, we're kind of the only two names in town um, there's another one outside of town but they are not taking anybody over 18 now and they were taking people up to 21 so a lot of times what happened is they would have some of our kids until 21 and then they would come to our ministry and we would kind of basically take over 
helping them with their education and stuff that was previously done by the other government type place. Um, and so our, our staff, they have to go and pay for school, um, which is not just simple click, click online there. Uh, it involves standing in a bank line for who knows how long behind 50 people. Um, they have to help them go do medical things. Uh, we've had a few come in now that have uh, temporal lobe epilepsy and uh, some other neurological conditions that have required more, more care. Um, and so the incargados have a broad spectrum of responsibilities. Um, but yeah, they're the ones who, in a lot of ways, we support. Um, and it's a bit of our trying to work ourselves out of a job in a way. Um, so we are a lot of supporting the, those Hondurans to be in charge and to help the, the teams. Um, and we also directly, you know, interact with the teams as well. But, but yeah, they're, they're the main kind of front line on, on being there all the time. Jerry, do I see your hand? Yeah, uh, so most, yeah, so basically all of them, except maybe I think two, are, are kids who either were in our ministry house. Um, back in the day, our ministry house actually accepted families until the government basically came in and said, families are young adults, pick. And, um, and we found it was easier to help the families by paying their rent for three months um, and helping them with school stuff rather than bringing them into our ministry house. Um, and so, yeah, most of, probably about a good, a good, almost half of them are probably from kids who lived in our ministry house and then the rest are ones who have come into church. Their families have come into church. Uh, we've gotten to know them via the groups, building a house for them. Um, and then them just becoming more and more involved in in our church uh, activities. And then we had a couple that we inherited from another ministry who uh, shut down that Michael had kind of worked with before, but who also has a family, they have families too, and they, they just live in kind of a different area. some ways I don't have a great answer for you because Honduras is such a, I mean, it's, it's a 50% unemployment, you know. Um, so it's pretty tough even if you even have skills. Um, but yeah, a lot of the ones that we have sent to do any sort of technical stuff has been, uh, we've done like um, barber, barber type things. 
Um, we've sent some for computer stuff and we have sent for, yeah, we've sent some for carpentry. Uh, we had some, a couple kids who were working in a um, auto mechanic, um, really just working in a shop, not a mechanic shop and learning on the fly there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough, I really do wish I had better answers for you on that. What would be the industry in Honduras that would be, you know, the one to jump into for them. Um, it's, it's hard to be honest. We've had we've had quite a few go on to the barber barber and they get an internship and then they move on to a job um, and then we've had a couple like the ones that were doing the auto mechanic thing they kind of moved on from our ministry um, I can't exactly say about those two boys but um, I see one around pretty often and he seems all right so. <laughs> But I haven't had a. I haven't asked him if he's still doing that necessarily. Um, but most of the time, they're able to find at least an internship, which is a start, and then it's kind of hit or miss if they're still around after that because they're on to a level where they can not have to live in our ministry house. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, a lot of a lot of them move on to going back to areas that they're familiar with, um, which is okay to me because I don't necessarily want them to stick around where they could go and buy a crack a drop of a hat. Um, you know, I would I would I would almost prefer them to move on to somewhere that's not as drug ridden and as drug. Um, prevalent is where we are uh, and um, and where we are is not necessarily where there's a ton of jobs where our, our ministry house is necessarily um, unless I want to work in a paint store <laughs> so um, but yeah a lot of them do move on to uh, moving into uh, a lot of times it's moving back into into a familial type setting maybe not necessarily with their immediate family but with like a cousin uh, or an uncle or aunt that they that they were close with before and and some of our kids do come from farther out of the city um, I think we were talking about this earlier you're talking about people coming to the city to try to find uh, that's a similar situation in Honduras um, you know the mechanization of farming is taking on root in, in Honduras which is killing a lot of agri jobs farther out so the farmers come to the city looking for a job um, and so do the young people because they want a better life than just picking coffee kind of talk about Jimmy that's right I forgot he was doing that uh, we do have a kid 
don't think he was in any of those pictures. But um, Jimmy, he's been with us four years. Yeah, he's been with us four years now. Uh, he's finished. He, he's finished high school, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So he's about to graduate, um, and he's got a banking internship uh, with one of the local banks, and uh, and and. In reality, he's, that's a big deal. We've never had anybody get something like that. And so uh, a bank teller is, you're, you're doing pretty good in Honduras if you can be a bank teller. Um, yeah, especially as a former street kid. Um, and especially if you can overcome, you know, there's a lot of prejudice to that uh, in a lot of Hondurans' minds. And so that's kind of an amazing story for us um, that he's able to, to get that kind of a, a job. Um, anybody else? Good. Oh, okay. Uh, that's true. We didn't put any pictures in there because you kind of saw us all last week, I think. Um, so we uh, have adopted three Honduran kids, um, Arl, Jonathan, and Diana. And you, I'm sure you probably saw them last week. Um, and they're 12, 14, and 16. They were former residents of our of our ministry house back when we had families. Uh, their mom is a case. Um, and so we ended up having custody of them and eventually uh, were able to adopt them. Um, and we also have Angel, um, who, you, who you probably also saw. Um, he is the son of one of our former teens uh, who used to live in our building, but she's living on the street, um, prostituting, um, things like that. And so we have uh, permanent custody of him. And um, he is six. Seven, oh gosh. His birthday was last week. He's seven. Sorry. And then we also have uh, the loud one back there, Emerson, um, and, and which keeps us, as you can imagine, five kids keeps us busy. Um, but in a, in a way, and I've said this before, uh, we're, we're raising our own little missionaries. Um, granted, they'll be U.S. citizens one of these days, um, but they'll probably always keep Honduras as their home. Um, and so it's... In, it's nice because they're now getting to the age where I can kind of push the boys into serving and to interacting and, um, and soon probably they'll be translating for the groups. Um, they already come along and help with, with things, with the house builds and, and uh, different other ministry things. And so it'll be nice that soon they'll be able to, to take on more leadership type uh, roles in what we're doing. My kids, Arl, yeah, A-R-O-L, Jonathan and Diana, and then we have Angelito. Um,
Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're, uh, yeah, yeah. If they're, if they're sticking around our ministry, then they are, they're definitely proud of what they accomplish. Um, what you don't see is the dozens that come in and out of our ministry who can't handle or don't want to even begin to, to do any sort of changing or to doing, or can't get over trauma and things like that that they have experienced. Um, you know, when, when we have someone come in, we, we get to know them. We have them come to church on Sundays. Um, and then they have to talk to us and they have to have a plan. We're, we're not just, we're not the stopping point for them. We want to bring them into our family. We want to love them as Christ loves them. We want to help them get to where they want to be. And, and then we, we kind of send them out in a way. Um, it's every single one of our kids comes in with some sort of trauma um, and it, it could be sexual, physical, emotional um, or all of the above uh, not to mention drug abuse anything else that might have happened on the street um, and so it, it's very difficult because it's strange to them because all they've known is pain, all they've known is um, suffering, beatings, uh, all the, they've, they've, know, they've known not love, so to experience love is, it's strange and it makes them uncomfortable, it makes them fight back, it makes them do any number of things. So yeah, it's, it, it, it really strangely comes off hard for them. In a lot of ways, in, in a lot of ways, you know, it's like being in the dark for who knows how long, and then the light, you know, it hurts at first. So, um, any others? I'll wrap it up here. Um, so uh, you saw in that video Michael Sihan. Um. And I think that's one of my favorite stories of uh, this year. Because I remember that night, it was about a month and a half ago, when uh, we had been fighting for Sihan. We'd been fighting for him. Um, he, as, as Duan was talking about, he's, he's only known the dark. He'd only known the dark for so long that a month of being loved in a month of being off the street and off drugs was almost too much and so he uh, he ran off and and uh, we looked for him drove around looking for him and then we we found him at feeding and and to watch all of us when I say us I mean Michael and Amber and I try to convince him to come back um, and it didn't work. It didn't work until he walked over and all those teens, um, all of our teens 
all of our broken teens who come from shattered pasts and pains. Uh, brought him back. Said, you're one of us. We're broken. You're broken. But we're all going forward together. So it wasn't until then that he got in the back of the truck. And, and I think that was one of the most powerful moments I've I've experienced so far in Honduras, and and I thank you for, I thank you all for supporting us, and I thank you for uh, blessing us with the opportunity to to have God moments like that. So, turn it back the other way around.